Well, good morning. A couple weeks ago, we started out with the series on breaking the chains of addiction. What's that? Oh, that's right, Children's Church. You're free, children. Go to Children's Church with Dawn, and it might get kind of wild. Got a couple takers. We're going to go on on our series on breaking the chains of addiction, and we're going to be looking in the passage in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 through 19. And these are the different steps, if you want to call them, of addiction. And we're going to be looking at these six steps today. And you're thinking, six steps? That's going to take till noon. It may be. I don't know. We'll see. I had somebody that I saw, and they haven't been attending church lately, and they said, what is going on at the church lately? And I said, what? And they said, somebody told me you aren't getting done till 1230 lately. <laughs> Hasn't been 1230. It's been pushing 12, but three o'clock we heard that she's been going to lately. What's going on? So I'm going to try to keep it brief. I don't know. When we started talking about breaking the chains of addiction, and I mentioned this a couple weeks ago, these are my goals as we go into this. Because you might be sitting there thinking, this doesn't even apply to me. I'm not going to get anything out of this. And I think that you can because, first of all, I believe that a lot of us, and when I say a lot, I mean a lot, a lot of us have addictions in our life that are mastering us, controlling us, and we don't even realize it. And we would say that somebody else has a drug addiction or an alcohol addiction or whatever that addiction is, but we look at ourselves and say, I, I have nothing in my life. And I truly believe if we allow the Lord to search our hearts and be honest before Him, we would say, I have some areas in my life that could be called addictions. Hopefully, this will give us the empathy that we need towards others. And understanding as we go through this, if you're not a person that struggles with addictions, you're able to look at somebody else, maybe that might be a sibling, might be a child or grandchild, even your spouse, and you're understanding this is their mindset as they're struggling with this addiction in their life. And we're not just having sympathy for them, but empathy. We're understanding how they're feeling and understanding, you know what, I've got some issues in my life, and I could, you know, agree with you that they might be the same. And hopefully we might have some tools to help others in their, their addiction. Now, of course, you can't make anyone do anything. But if someone is there and they're asking you, you know, I, I know I admit that I have this addiction in my life, I have this problem, we're able to say, here is a tool that I have been given that I can help you. Because as I asked a couple weeks ago, if I were to ask again, how many people here struggle with addictions or know somebody it's close to them that struggles with addictions, most of us would say, yes, I know somebody or, my, you know, myself, I struggle with them. And as I said a couple weeks ago, they come in many different forms. And some of them are conscious and unconscious. We talked about that. And they're not always the bad things of the world. We talked about exercise. Exercise can be a great thing for your body, but some people become addicted to it. There are certain foods that are good for you, but you can become addicted to them. Some of the things in our lives that we can look at, and as I mentioned before, we can say that is a very negative addiction, but yet someone would say, I have a positive addiction, 
and it's still an addiction. And what may be my addiction in my life that I struggle with, maybe you don't struggle with. As I mentioned before, gambling, that's nothing I've ever struggled with before. You couldn't make me gamble because I know my odds and they aren't very good. But somebody else might struggle with gambling and vice versa. We talked about the definition of addiction and it's in the simplest form being unable to stop. And even though that you recognize there are these negative things that are happening in your life, you believe, and that's not the truth, but you believe you are unable to stop. Another definition of addiction is that it may be a pattern of behavior that has been developed to deal with hurts in an unhealthy way. We're going to talk about that more today. Something has happened in your life, and the way that you deal with this hurt is that you now substitute it with this addiction in some way. And it's a choice that leads you to a behavior that's in excess, which leads to bondage. Someone asked me last week, well, how do you know if it's actually an addiction? How do you know if you're struggling with it that it's, it's gone now into this territory of addiction in your life? Because it masters you. It controls your life. It's going to start having negative effects on you and those around you. Even with something like, let's just say exercise. I just pick on that one because that's a good thing. You are now exercising to the point that you are destroying yourself. You are not spending time with your family because you're exercising so much. And the consequences can go on and on, even though it's a very positive thing. But more importantly, it stands in between your relationship of you and the Lord. Because you are so consumed by this in your life. And if you had to be honest, you would say, I know it's a problem because I am substituting this thing in my life to cover up this pain because I'm not dealing with that. If you're truly honest and say, I'm doing this because I'm trying to numb pain in my life, it's a problem. So I'm going to ask you this question. We, I know it was a couple weeks ago, but we talked about there are three causes of addictions. Three causes of addictions, and they each started with the C. Can somebody tell me, I always hate to ask this question, can somebody tell me what these three might be? What's the first one? What's the first cause of addiction? I mean, there's no special order. Starts with the C. Somebody have it? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> That's the first. Those communists. It's not my fault. I eat too many bonbons. It's communism. <laughs> yeah. No. First one is chromosomes. Chrome, oh, that's right. Chromosomes is the first one. You are going to be more bent towards an addiction because of your genetic makeup. Now, that is not an excuse. You cannot blame your parents if you are addicted to something. But you might be more bent in that direction because 
We are genetically made up of the chromosomes of our mother and father, and as I've said, you can't use this as an excuse. My family just used this as an excuse for their alcoholism, that we are Irish and Indian. That's not a good combination to be able to drink fire water then, okay? But you cannot blame our genetics, because I have grown up where my mother has blamed genetics. It's genetics. That's the fault because of her addictions. But they do play into it, and just different personalities. Um, I will say this, that, and you're going to be shocked by this, I can be a little bit, uh, we'll just say high-strung, okay? Um, no, thank you. Thank you for being shocked at that. I'm a little compulsive in some areas, and so, uh, you know, that kind of drives me in some areas of some addictions. And I have a daughter, I won't mention her name, but I have a daughter who can be driven that same way, or actually kind of a couple of them. And it's because of their personalities. And so they're more likely to have these addictions in their life. The second one is to see is circumstances. So the first one was what? Okay, chromosomes. The second one is circumstances in your life. And it's how you were raised. What your life was like when you were growing up. If you grew up in a dysfunctional household, and most of us do, because we're all centered, we all have problems. If you grow up, like in my situation, where you see adults deal with situations by drinking alcohol, you're more bent, you're more bent genetically now and because of circumstances, you're more bent towards that addiction. Because that is how you see people deal with situations. Now, partly maybe I'm not into gambling because that was nothing ever that my family did. Other people that I know that have went through a Gamblers Anonymous program that struggle with it, went through the 12-step program, they have seen that model before them by a parent. One individual I can think of is by his father. And so he struggles with it because for his escape to numb his problems is gambling for him. And it's just what you've been exposed to. The other side that we talked of, of is that you are hurt as a child. So you've got circumstances and that is that you see what people do around you as far as adults, how they deal with problems, and then you've got these hurt feelings in your life. And as I mentioned before, I don't want to go into it a lot because we're going to run out of time. But we all have a love tank. We've talked about this before. I spent a whole time on a series on this. And when it's low or empty and we need love, we will start to look for something to fill that tank up. And that's usually what our addiction is. It's something that makes us feel good on the inside. What we're wanting is unconditional love. What we fill it with can be shopping, or food, or drugs, alcohol, that makes us feel good. And we talked about the calloused heart, we're going to talk about that more today. We have this calloused heart and we lock down, and the only way that we can feel something is through addiction. So this is what we're going to speak about today. We're going to continue on on how these addictions start. And Paul speaks about this in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 through 19. Now, of course, he's not necessarily speaking about addictions here, okay? Now, when I say that, that's quotation marks, okay? I did that in front of a teenager, and he said, what does that mean? 
that the bunny ears? I said, no, they're not bunny ears. That's quotation. Emphasizing that. You need to get out more. He's not speaking about addictions here, okay, necessarily. But he is speaking in this passage to these groups of believers about struggles, issues, problems, whatever you want to call it, in their life that they have. If you read on the passage at the end of the chapter here, of chapter 4, he's talking about these things like anger, and you've got stealing and gossip, these addictions, we would call them. He says you need to start dealing with them. So I'm not going to read this right now, but the other thing I want us to keep in mind is I, as I went through this the last couple of weeks to prepare for this, it's amazing to me, absolutely amazing, that the Apostle Paul, 2,000 years ago, can write a few verses here and hit human nature right on the head when it comes to addiction. How in the world can he do that? Is he just that smart a guy? Did he just study people 2,000 years ago? You cannot find a secular self-help book and pick it up that's going to tell you these steps. And yet he just throws it in here and he can tell you about human nature. You think he did that because he was just a really smart guy, Paul? Or was he speaking through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit? And of course we know he's speaking through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. I don't think Paul was that smart a guy. But he starts out here in this passage in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 through 19. He says, so I tell you this, and he's speaking to believers here, people in the church. He says, so I tell you this, and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do. He starts off here and he tells these believers, he says, people, listen to me, church people, quit living like the world. He says, quit living like you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. The Gentiles, those who do not know God, those who do not have a relationship with Him, He says, stop it. A couple weeks ago, we had the video on, you know, the um, Bob Newhart skit. And if you remember it, if you weren't here, he just tells as a counseling mode to this lady that comes in, stop it. And she starts to say, well, this in my life, stop it. Just stop it. It's humorous because it's so simple. Just stop what you're doing. And yet Paul says it right here. He says, people, you need to stop what you're doing. These things in your life. What he's really saying here in the Greek is, it's a person bound by rules to imitate. He says to them, people, you need to stop these things in your life, which would be called addictions, because this is how the world lives. People outside the church, people that don't know Jesus, and you're living like this in your life. And he says, and you need to stop. You're imitating them. That's not who you are anymore. Quit imitating them. And he's simply saying, do not live as the unsaved lost people live. You need to stop doing that. And he goes on in the passage, we're not going to look at it today. He says, you are a new creation in Jesus Christ. When you accept the Lord Jesus Christ, it was like the old person died and you were a new person. Something came over you, there should have been some type of change. When you accept the Lord, it is the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And he says, you are no longer the same person. He says, start living in that truth. Don't live like you did before. And these are the progression here of these steps. The first one is wrong thinking. Of these six steps, he says, this is how this starts, is with wrong thinking. This is how this addiction in your life starts. 
Now, whether that's when you're three or five or 30 or whatever it is, most of the time is when you're very young because why? Because number one, it's your chromosomes. Number two, it's your circumstances, what you saw. And that's the first step is wrong thinking. He says the futility of their thinking. He says this is how they live. Futility means literally in the Greek, it means empty, vain, worthless, that which will never succeed. It pursue, it's the pursuit of false promises of happiness and fulfillment. What he's saying here is, he says, this is how your addiction starts. This is a cycle. The first step is you start to have wrong thinking. You at some point in your life think through its circumstances most of the time of what you witness of the world. You think you will be happy. Happy. If you do this, whatever you can fill in the blank. If you make enough money and you're successful and you have all the things of the world, you will be happy. If you are healthy and you exercise and that you are in good health, you will be happy. If you have the right spouse, you're going to be happy. If you eat enough food, you're going to be happy. If you are able to take drugs, you're going to be happy. If you're going to be able to drink. Now, some of this stuff, we consciously don't think, well, I'm going to be happy if I drink. If I get drunk, I'm going to be happy. But the reality is we think that in our mind. We truly believe that we're going to be happy if we can do this whatever. And he says, that is pursuing things that will never make you happy. But somewhere along the line, you believe that lie. He goes on to say, they are darkened in their understanding. He's going on talking about wrong thinking here as his first step. He says, you're unable to distinguish between right and wrong is really what he's saying here. And you can't see, it's like somebody being in the dark. You are self-focused. And you can't see beyond yourself, and you're not able to see the next step. So you believe in your wrong thinking here that if I do this in my life, that I'm going to be happy. And I can't see beyond what the consequences are going to be. I just know that's what's going to make me happy at this moment. And I've, I've talked about this so much, and, I'm, and you're going to think I'm beating a dead horse, and partly true, but it's what Scripture speaks about over and over again. We even talked about it when we went through the Beatitudes. It starts with wrong thinking. It starts with wrong thinking. You start to believe a lie in your mind, a lie that the world tries to tell you, and you start to make bad decisions in your life. There's a quote out there that says this. It says, watch your thoughts, for they become actions. Watch your actions, for they become habits. Watch your habits, for they become character. Watch your character, for it becomes your destiny. It's a progression here. It's a downward progression if you start to choose these negative lies in your life. Because the truth is, our actions flow from our thoughts. I've said that over and over again. Our actions flow from our thoughts. And godless thinking always leads to godless action. If you start to think that in your mind, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it, then the progression is you're going to start going that direction. And so these addictions start in the mind because the mind is the battlefield. 
That's where the enemy, Satan, wants to attack. He wants to attack your mind. And if he can do that through the circumstances growing up in your life and start to get you thinking wrong, he has accomplished something. Because I've shared this over and over again, this verse in Proverbs 23, 7. For as he thinks within himself, so is he. As you think in your heart, the truth is, your thoughts are going to control your actions. And if you think a certain way, then your actions are going to start to show it. So the first step that we have is wrong thinking. The second step that we go into is that we feel far from God. And this amazes me. I'm going to step out here a little bit. That we have kids, and I have been in ministry long enough to know this. We have kids that will come down here to Adventure Club. And they will be 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10 years of age. And they are so open to the things of God. They are open to God's Word. They're memorizing God's Word. They're excited about Adventure Club or one of whatever program. And then what happens between about like 12 to 14? Kids stop caring. They don't want to hear any of that stuff. They don't want to memorize Scripture. And usually that starts a pattern for the rest of their life. You know what I think it is? Exactly what's going on here. Somehow they start to live out the wrong thinking in their life. And so they start believing by hanging with this group of friends, by doing these certain things, this is what makes you cool, this is what fulfills your life, this is what's going to make me happy. And then they don't want to be around, now maybe they're not consciously thinking this, but they don't want to be around God anymore. They don't want to hear His Word, they don't want to go to Sunday school, because they completely push Him away. Because why? Because now they are starting to get addicted to whatever is going to be their addiction in their life. And they don't want to be around God. That's why it says here in the scripture, it says, separated from the life of God. They are far from God. That's the second step. They have no true relationship with God the Father. They don't look at Him as being a father. They believe that God can't or won't have a relationship with them, with us. And they don't want to be around you. And then they start to make up their own rules and we start to serve ourselves and our wants because we replace ourselves as God. And you can start to see that change in human beings. Now some of them are as young as eight or nine. It's getting farther back all the time in our culture. But you can start to see that in a 12, a 13, a 14 year old. They become their own God don't believe that stuff. They don't want to be around him. And they don't have God's power in their life to have this victory over these things they're struggling with. Because why? They bought into the wrong thinking, and now the second step is they don't want to be around God. They don't even think he cares. Because the enemy will tell you, you know what, now you've been involved in these certain things in your life, and so why would God even want to have a relationship with you? And young people start to think, yeah, why would he? Oh, he can just shove it. I don't care. I'm doing my own thing anyway. I'm in control. And that's the second step. The third step is that they have a hard heart. And we talked about this before. Paul goes on to say, because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their heart. And we talked about this before. They start to have this hardened heart. So the first thing is, wrong thinking. Got wrong thinking in my life. 
I'm completely far away from God. I don't want to have anything to do with him because he doesn't want to have anything to do with me, apparently. And then we start to harden our heart. Because people feel like, you know what? I'm shutting everybody out. I'm locking it down. I'm in control. I'm in control of my own destiny because I am God. And they have this hardened heart towards everyone. I truly believe those that struggle with pain in their younger life, you will see this manifest when they're 12 to 14, if not before. Because you wonder, how in the world did they become so... We use the word hard. How did they become so hard and calloused? They won't let anybody in because they are going to protect themselves. I did this not at 13 or 14. You probably saw it manifest more then, but I did this, I can tell you when. Seven years of age I did this. I know it. I locked down hard. I wasn't going to let anybody in to ever hurt me again or do anything. I was going to control all circumstances around me so that never happened again. You're not going to do it. You're not going to hurt me. And you start to have this hardened heart. Which leads to the next step here. You just want to feel something. Because you are so hard now, and you, you've shut everybody out, you've shut out even people that may even want to love you, show you unconditional love, that you have to feel something. You want to feel some type of just connection, love, happiness, something in your life. And so something has to fulfill that. Something has to, to make me feel something. And that goes on to the next, next step. They just want to feel something. Verse number 19, it says, having lost all sensitivity. Because why? Because they are so hardened. Originally, in the Greek, it's speaking about a stone. It's actually speaking about something that's harder than marble here. That is the way that they become on the inside. And the problem is that they no longer feel any conviction or shame, and they reject the truth and they know but they don't care. You become so hardened and this addiction, whatever in your life, is the one thing. People will tell me that. It's the only thing that makes me happy. It's, you can tell them, it's destroying your life. I don't care at this point. That's what you say. I don't think it is. Maybe it is, but I don't care. I'm still going to do it anyway. Well, the truth is, I don't care about truth. Because they are so hardened at this point. They just want to feel something in their life. And so then we have the next step. We've got the feel-good sins, and maybe I shouldn't have put sins there, because it's the things in our life that, they're not, as I mentioned before, I want us to get through our mind. It's not necessarily sin in and of itself. It's not something we can look at and say, that is completely contrary to what God would want because these might be good things but it's completely contrary to what God would want you to do and how much you're doing it at this point how much is controlling your life he goes on to say there in this feel-good sin he says they have given themselves over to sensuality as to indulge in every kind of impurity and this is the pursuit of every pleasure with no capacity for restraint or discipline and this is when people get so hardened, they get to this point where I need something that's going to make me feel good. I'm going to do whatever that is. 
And they get to the point where they give up, they give in, they give over. And if you've ever been there, you'll understand what I'm talking about. You get to the point where you feel like you've gone so far, it doesn't make any difference now. You might as well just keep on going. Because you feel like, even if I want to turn back now, the damage and the consequences and what I'm controlled by, I can't stop anyway, so I might as well just keep going straight on into it. And they will say, because it's the only thing that makes me feel good. And it's controlling them in their life. Which leads to the next cycle of this addiction, which is that they need more. And that's why Paul says here in Ephesians chapter 4, and they are full of greed. He says, now at this point, they just have to have more. They need more. Because once you start going that down that direction and you believe it's the only thing that makes you feel good and you've locked everybody else out, then the only thing that you can do now is to get more of that. And the more that you have, the less it's going to numb to deal with that pain, that hurt in your life. And we understand that of just our physical bodies. If you've got a problem physically and you start taking medication to numb that pain, you'll have to keep taking more and more and more because your body builds up a tolerance to it. And then you're addicted to pain medication. And the same things happens to us in our spiritual lives. And this is when it becomes the unstoppable desire to just get more. It's never enough. And there's no sense of responsibility for the consequences at this point. It's just doing what I want to do at this point. I'm just going to do what I want to do. And so this is a cycle. And this can apply to anything. Whether this is drinking or drugs or shopping or being a workaholic or Facebook or an eating disorder or computer games, whatever that is. This is your escape. And I see so many people that are living in this cycle and they repeat it over because the last step is that you need more. Which then turns into what? You feel farther from God. Because the more that you start going this direction and you've just got a habit, you know where you're at, you've locked down, you're not going to listen to truth, you don't want to have anything to do with the Lord. You don't want to have anything to do with His Word, the truth, people that are in His Word, people that might be sharing truth with you. And it goes over and over. Because we wrongly believe our addiction, addictions can resolve our problems or relieve our pain. If you have something wrong with you and you can take some type of cream and put it on there, is it actually fixing the problem or is it just numbing the pain? Because most of us are addicted to numbing the pain. That is what we're addicted to. We have this pain in our life. We don't even maybe know what's even causing this pain in our life. Maybe we do, but we try to numb it. And the thing is, if you've ever tried to numb some type of injury with some type of medication or ointment or anything, you know what happens? What happens when you, when you stop doing that? Is it, is it better or worse after, if it's continuing on? 
And of course, the answer is it's worse because once the numbing effect wears off, then it seems even that much more stinging. And so you've got to keep putting more on it, more stuff to deal with it, because you've got this pain in your life. I want to end with this. When it comes to the numbing pain, Jesus had the same opportunity to numb his physical pain. Now, bear with me here, because you're not going to see this in many commentaries, if any commentary. This is my own little deal, okay? When I first became a believer, I started reading God's Word. This is how I study God's Word. This is how I read it. Um, I guess that's why that God has me doing what He has me doing. But one of the things, if you read the Gospels, Jesus says when He's hanging on the cross, He says, I am thirsty. Do you ever hear that? Jesus says, I am thirsty while He's hanging on the cross. The Gospel accounts state that someone grabbed a spear and used it to offer Jesus a sponge soaked in wine which either had gall or myrrh in it. So he says he's thirsty. He's up on the cross. It's kind of hard to shimmy up there and give him a little drink. So what they would do, they were in a custom of taking a sponge, putting it in this liquid, putting it on the end of a spear, putting it up there, and you could suck it out of there. When they did this, if you remember the Gospels, have ever read this, Jesus refused it. He refused to take the sponge after... He had just asked for a drink. Now, it seems to be through um, tradition and what we know of the history of that time, that they would take gall or myrrh and they would put it in this sponge. Now, this sponge was filled with narcotics, what we call it today, a numbing effect. And so when someone was hanging on the cross, they would give them this liquid, this mixture, and then they would drink it and they would feel numb because they were being crucified on a cross. It doesn't tickle. Very excruciating. And for whatever reason, Jesus said, I don't want that. He denied it. He later, when they had a full mixture of vinegar, he took it from them. But not when it was combined with these other additives. And you will, I have read, I have searched this out, I have tried to figure out why. Nobody ever really talks about it. I guess maybe it's not that big a deal. To me, everything in the scripture is a big deal. There's a reason why that Jesus said no. Maybe he was just delirious and didn't know what he was asking. No, I believe it's more than that. I believe he refused their narcotic at that point. Because why? Because he chose to feel the pain. He chose to feel the pain on the cross. Now you can come up with your own reason why that he chose to do that. I have my own theory. But as he was hanging there on the cross, he said, I'm going to take the sins of the world and I'm going to fill every bit of it. The sins of the world were going to be poured on him from time past to time future. At that moment. And he could have escaped it, at least physically, the human part of him could have escaped it. And he chose not to. Because, as I mentioned a few weeks ago, pain is a very interesting thing. Very interesting. Because what does pain do for us? It helps grow us. We will grow through pain. That is nothing we want to hear as human beings. 
Even through physical pain, we grow, we mature. This last week at Mission to Cozad, Cassie smashed her finger really bad. She can show you afterwards. I thought she did it with a hammer, you know, like she was really working hard. She did it playing pool afterwards. It's a war wound of pool. Now, Cassie is not a blood and guts kind of girl. Caitlin, on the other hand, I mean, I tell you what, she loves blood and guts. I mean, if something's going to be rank or somebody's hurt, she's fighting in there to see it. You know, she's got to see all that stuff. Cassie, not so much. Doesn't like to get hurt. I mean, who does? But she specially doesn't, and it's all blood blistered up, and so she's a little nauseous by it. But the thing is, even through circumstances like that, I'm just talking about physical pain here, you grow. Because you realize when your finger gets smashed, you're not going to die. You're going to make it through it. It might be okay, and it might not be okay, and it might get worse, but you're still going to be okay. And you grow through those circumstances. You grow through pain. This last week we were finishing up the Mission to Kozad project on Rich's roof, and so um, Bill and I were working on the shingles. We had a 17-year-old boy who's very athletic. He's 17, okay, and he's athletic. When he would get off the roof sometimes, you know, the porch is, I don't know what that porch is, 10 foot, 10 foot probably up there. He jumped off. Just a flat foot, just, just jump off and land on the ground. I said, quit doing that. And he's 17. He's like, that's no big deal. That's only 10 foot. I can handle that. You will be old like me and not be able to walk. I showed him my scars even on my knee and ankle replacement. I tried to reason with him. And he looked like this old guy. I was telling the boys during the mission to Coast, I said, you guys got to be careful. And they said, you're always Mr. Safety. And I said, yeah. And I would show them all this wounds that I have and scars. And they'd say, well, how can you be Mr. Safety and have all that stuff happen to you? I said, that's why I'm Mr. Safety now. <laughs> because why? Because pain creates wisdom. It truly does. And so I'm not going to jump off a 10-foot roof right now. I'd be in the hospital in traction. I know my limitations. I know what pain creates. And if you break enough bones, you get hurt enough, you will start to be more cautious in your life. You will start to think things through. You will have wisdom. And when we have pain in our life, instead of trying to numb it and trying to use these addictions to take care of it and not have to deal with it maybe and I know this is hard for us to wrap our mind around maybe the Lord has us having that pain because he wants us to grow and mature and have wisdom through it he wants us to grow and yet I have witnessed my whole entire life a bunch of adults in my family that have tried to mask their pain and the hurts that they have with all types of addiction, mainly alcohol, drugs. Because my mother was a very weak person. She was. Very weak in the sense that she could not deal with any pain. She couldn't deal with any emotional pain. And so that is how she has dealt with it. And God says, you know what? You really want to have healing? He says, have the pain 
But this is the other side of it. He says, let me be the healer. If you allow me to be the healer in your life, you are going to grow. You're going to change. Yes, you might have to go through this pain for a time and season, but allow me to do the work. Don't use these things that you try to use for an escape in your life. Deal with it. Move through it. So when it comes to these addictions and why they start, the first one is what? Starts with a C. Chromosomes or communism. Now we've got actually four. <laughs> we have chromosomes, we have circumstances, but the third one we talked about is choices. We all have choices in our life. And that's really what this is coming down here. There are things that we can do something about, and there's things that we can't. But when it comes to these issues in our life, Paul's saying, you can make a choice here. Because if you do something long enough that's negative, it will become a habit. And he says here in Ephesians 4.22, he says, your old self corrupted by its deceitful desires. Paul's saying here that you guys don't even know the truth because you have bought into this lie. And now you're living out this lie. He says, stop. Stop living out the lie in your life. Because that was the old self that was corrupted, but you were new. And if there's one thing that we can take away from it this week, it's the cycle of addiction starts with what? Wrong thinking. The cycle of addiction starts with what? Wrong thinking. You start to have that wrong thinking in your life, and then that will start a pattern that will be habitual. It will start to be, as we looked at it as a quote, it will start to be your character, and then it will be your destiny. So the questions I leave you with this week, what wrong thinking do you have? And that's a tough question because you're sitting there going, I have no idea. I got wrong thinking? I didn't even know I have wrong thinking. Where am I even going to start? Let me ask you the next question. What pain are you trying to numb? Let me ask you the next one. How are you numbing that pain? You start to answer those questions, you will know what you're struggling with. And we're not here to go through this series to just to fix up the outside and to stop dealing with the addiction. The addiction is the symptom of a root problem, which is some type of pain in your life. And you're only going to be able to deal with the addiction when you can deal with the problem, the root of it, which is the pain in your life. And that's not going to be through a 12-step program. That's not going to become the church. That's not going to be listened to some type of self-help CDs. That is going to be through the Spirit of God. Him working in your life. That's the only way that that's going to be healed. Now, yes, those are going to be tools that you can use. But you start with the root of the pain. I mentioned one of the reasons why I'm doing this series is because... Number one, I see so many people struggling with it, even in our own community, even in our own church, our own families. Number two, because I was asked by someone, a group, to help put together a Christian 12-step program. Now, I wasn't real clear last time when I mentioned this, there's the um, Celebrate Recovery, which is a Christian-based, um, biblical-based recovery program. 
What I'm trying to do is help to put together a 12-point step program because I, didn't, I don't think I made this clear that the courts actually require people to go through a 12-step program and celebrate recovery a lot of times is not considered to be a program because it's not 12-step. That's pretty sad that just because it doesn't have 12 steps, we're not going to accept it as a court-mandated program. What I'm trying to do is to help put together a 12-step program that's Christian-based. It gets at the root of the problem because as I mentioned before when I started this series, you've got those people that go through AA and they go through all these different programs that there are 12 steps, but they don't get at the root of the problem, which is what? It's a heart problem. It's a spiritual problem. And most of the time, most of the time, it's because they have this pain in their life that they're trying to mask because of something that happened to them when they were a child. And that is how they deal with it now. Whether that's physical abuse, verbal, sexual abuse, the list can go on and on, just not even being loved. This is now how they deal with it. So if you want to really understand what your addiction's about, you need to ask yourself and have the Lord reveal to you, and maybe you already know, what is this pain in my life that I've been carrying around for 14 years, 28 years, 52 years, 75 years? What is this pain that I try to mask with buying things, with shopping, with eating food too much, with, you know, whatever it is? And that is what makes me feel better. And that's the only thing. Let's close the word of prayer, Lord. You know us as people as we sit here. And Lord, I pray that we would be honest with ourselves and have an open heart to um, what we're learning from your word. Because it's amazing to me, as I said before, that your word applies to us in all areas of our life. And especially in these areas of getting freedom from bondage. And Lord, it spells it out right there. It's, it's always there in your word. Lord, we have to get to the point where we first, and that's the step we need to come to, that we admit that we have a problem, that we start to identify what this wrong thinking is that we have in our life. Lord, I simply pray this morning that you would just reveal that to us in our hearts, what we need to start working on, just that first step, what that pain is in our life, and that will show us what our addiction truly is. And Lord, I pray that uh, your spirit would start to heal people, not going to be through my words, it's going to be through your word only, and it's going to be by your spirit. But Lord, we have a choice in that. We can either stay rock hard as, as marble, or we can start to break down those walls, those hurts in our lives, and we can allow your spirit to come in and start to soften our hearts. And we have to choose to allow you to do that, so I pray that we would do that as your people. I give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Dismissed.